Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is the first Sunday of a brand new year. And on this first Sunday, we're going to reinstall two elders uh, to our council. So it seems fitting that we give attention to what it is that we're supposed to be doing here. What has God called us to be as his church? In pursuit of answers to such questions, I want to take you back to uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, the occasion of uh, the disciples, the twelve apostles' last encounter with Jesus before his ascension. On that occasion, I believe he tells us a bit of what we're to be doing. So let me read it. A brief passage, verses 6 to 8, Acts 1, 6 to 8. Jesus has just told them to stay in Jerusalem. He's going to give them the spirit. And then in verse 6, we read, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After that, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. In this, in this uh, small passage, we hear the apostles ask a question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? John Calvin, in writing about this, makes an interesting comment. He says, there are as many errors as there are words in that question. John Stott goes on to explain the, the verb and the noun and the adverb of that sentence, that question all betray doctrinal confusion about the kingdom of God. So I'd like to uh, look at that with you and share three truths which I hope clear clear up some of the uh, confusion. The first truth is this. Christ Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom. Christ Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom. When we think of kingdoms, we automatically think of territory that you can point out on a map. So if you say, where's the United Kingdom? You can point that out on a map. That's a certain locale. Where's the kingdom of Saudi Arabia? That's in a different place. Where's the kingdom of Thailand? That's in a different place. And that's exactly how Jesus' apostles thought of the kingdom. When they, when they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought of God's kingdom in terms of political uh, power, political structure. Uh, they thought of God's kingdoms in terms of physical boundaries of ancient Israel. So they ask about restoration. They ask about uh, making, it, when is he going to make Israel the military and political power that it was back during the glory days of King David and King Solomon? But Christ isn't doing that. He's building a spiritual kingdom, not a military or political state. His rule is advanced by the Holy Spirit, not by diplomatic maneuvering or by the projection of military power. His rule is advanced by the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, the announcement 
that God appeared on the earth in the person of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The news that this this Jesus defeated sin and Satan by his death on the cross. And that that victory was attested to by God by raising him from the dead. So that his rule is now being advanced as God's Holy Spirit empowers his people to bear witness of it. You see, this kind of spiritual kingdom can't be stopped. You can secure borders against a military advance, but how do you guard against the work of God's Holy Spirit? You can defeat political enemies and silence them, throw them in prison, but how do you stop the quiet witness to the victory of King Jesus? You could force at gunpoint people's uh, compliance to an earthly ruler. But how do you stop the spirit from changing people's hearts when the word spreads that there's a glorious, eternal king named Jesus who has defeated death and sin and will rule forever? Christ Jesus is advancing a spiritual kingdom. That's not to suggest that Christ's rule is only heavenly or or spiritual, so that it has nothing to do with the things of the earth. Quite the opposite is true. Christ Jesus has been exalted to rule over everything, every kingdom, every dominion, every earthly power, every school of thought. His rule has implications for politics, has implications for our family life, our personal choices, for the philosophies uh, that, 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 that we think and hold to, for scientific uh, disciplines, for the arts, for music. But his kingdom is not at the mercy of any of those things. It is advanced by the power of his Holy Spirit as the people of God simply bear witness to the gospel of the king. So where does the church fit into all this? Well, the church is not to be equated with the kingdom of God. The kingdom is much broader than the church. So Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, the kingdom of God and the church are not co-equal. They are not co-extensive. They are not the same thing. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. Wherever he reigns, there is his kingdom. The church is one of the external manifestations of that. So the church has been wrong when it has sought to advance its rule, uh, uh, to contr- its control in the world. The church has been wrong when it's tried to take over other realms of authority that God has established, like the home or the state. The church has been wrong when it's seen itself as one of many earthly kingdoms in competition with the kingdoms of this world. No, no, no. Christ is building a spiritual kingdom. God has ordained the church to be the assembly of the citizens of that kingdom. Those who recognize and submit to the rule of this king named Jesus. The church is where the citizens of God's kingdom are instructed and trained so that they can go empowered by the Spirit and bear witness of the things that have taken place. The church is where the battle-weary gather to be bound up and healed, to be prayed for and encouraged, to be, to be loved and held close, to be, to be challenged and held accountable. The church is where those who know the King gather to worship Him. And in that sense, the church is a token a model 
of the rule of Christ already in full display in this world. As Gerhardus Voss put it, the church consists of those who have been conquered by God's saving power, who are now enlisted in the warfare of God's kingdom against the kingdom of Satan. The church, then, is the headquarters of the kingdom of God, the base from which God's dominion extends and expands. And dear people, this must be our agenda in this church, then. Not building a big organizational structure, a tribute to our skill and cunning. Not trying to seize power over people's lives and be a big controlling factor. But equipping one another to be true witnesses to Christ's rule. Encouraging one another to greater faithfulness, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Healing and restoring one another that we might be strengthened again for the king's service. And then, empowered by God's Spirit... We go out bearing witness to Christ's kingship, his lordship. Bearing witness in the way we live in our families, the, the, the way we do our work, the, the way we, we, we live in the world, in, in every relationship, in every business deal, in, in the music we sing, in the art we create, in our worldview, the way we think about everything, and especially in our passion to make certain that the whole world hears this witness. That the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus who has won the victory over sin and death. Christ Jesus is advancing a spiritual kingdom. That's the first thing we learn. But the apostles were not only confused about the nature of this kingdom. They misunderstood the extent of the kingdom. Which brings us to the second truth. Jesus is expanding God's kingdom to all nations. Jesus is expanding God's kingdom to all nations. We received the most unusual Christmas card this year amidst the many wonderful cards we received. And let me just say up front, it was one of the most beautiful cards that we, that we received. But it was unusual. On the front of the card was a beautiful Christmas tree filled with ornaments. What was unusual is the ornaments were all exactly the same. And what was more unusual is that all the ornaments were tiny little American flags. Now, we can laugh about that, but I kind of liked that card. It it, it looked pretty nice to me. You, You see, I'm about as patriotic as one can be. 26 years of my life are involved in military service of some kind. There are few things as beautiful in my eyes as old glory flying. Nonetheless, I understand that in the Christian subculture in which we live in this land, it's sometimes really difficult to separate our Christianity from our patriotism. But folks, Christmas and Christianity are not about America. They're about the coming of the kingdom of God. Now the apostles were a lot like us. They were Jewish. They were proud to be Jewish, I'm certain. In the years prior to Jesus' birth, there had been a great nationalistic fervor. The people longed to see Israel rise to prominence again. And, and, And well, they might. Was Israel not God's holy nation? Uh, had God not promised Israel prominence? 
And now Jesus, whom the apostles clearly by this time understand is God's anointed one, God's Messiah, the promised king. Now Jesus is saying that this promised day of the great outpouring of God's spirit is about to happen. No wonder they assumed that God was about to restore Israel's greatness. But Jesus had quite a different agenda in mind. He is expanding God's kingdom out to all the nations. And so in his answer, rather than confirming their nationalistic hopes, Jesus gave them a a blueprint for the future. First, he says, you will bear witness of me in Jerusalem. That was a wonderful city, the heart of their faith, the capital of of their homeland, also a frightening city, for there Jesus had been crucified recently. And then they would also be witnesses, when the Spirit came, they would be witnesses to the surrounding towns and villages and countryside in Judea, the whole region. Oh, but it didn't stop there. Then he says, you will be witnesses to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were those despised half-breed Jews who practiced a distorted version of Judaism, who followed a distorted version of the Bible and had holy places that the Lord had never ordained. Can you imagine that Jesus wanted these pious Jews to go up to Samaria? Oh, but that wasn't even the worst of it. That was just the beginning. From there, they were to bear witness to the ends of the earth, to places they had never been, places they didn't even know existed. This didn't fit their expectation for the restoration of Israel. But Jesus had in mind an expanding of his kingdom to include people the apostles considered unclean. And when these things began to happen, it was difficult for these pious Jewish men you remember the incident where Peter was being sent, about to be sent to the house of Cornelius, the, uh, the uh, Roman uh, commander. And he had a dream, and in his dream, uh, let down from heaven was a, was a sheet filled with unclean animals. And a voice said to him, take some of these and kill and eat them. And, and, and Peter said, oh no, not a chance. I, I have never defiled myself by eating foods uh, that the law calls unclean. To which the Lord said, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Clearly a reference to God's calling of the nations. But this agenda was a new idea to the apostles. Throughout the Old Testament, every once in a while you find a a prediction that this is going to happen. For example, in in Isaiah 2 and in Micah 4, we read an identical verse. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So those little verses are there, but mostly the Jews focused on and the apostles focused on other verses, other promises, which seem more prominent in their thinking. For example, the picture of the nations of the world streaming into Jerusalem and bowing down before them. Oh, what a grand thought. Jews, Jerusalem, and and, and Israel predominant, and all the nations of the world bowing down. John Stott explains it well. He said the Old Testament perspective was one of concern for the nations, 
but not of mission to the nations. Not going out to win them. Even the Old Testament vision of the latter days is of a pilgrimage of the nations to Mount Zion. All nations will stream to it, we read. Only in the New Testament is a centripetal that is focused on coming to the middle. A centripetal missionary consciousness replaced by a centrifugal, that is a a flying out from the middle missionary activity. Big change. Nations coming in or the message going out. Jesus is expanding God's kingdom to the whole world. The people, that hasn't changed. That's still his agenda. Oh, we may be concerned with what's happening with us, our problems, our, our programs, our, our greater comfort, but God is concerned for the nations of the world, concerned that the gospel go to every tribe, to every clan, to every race, to every culture. We may be most comfortable with people just like ourselves, but God has sent us to bear witness to him uh, among people that have nothing in common with us except that they too need the Savior. We cannot think that we are faithfully serving the Lord Jesus if we do not share his concern that, the, that God's kingdom expand to the ends of the earth. That's the second truth we learn. Then there's one more issue for the apostles, and that's the question of when. They ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore? That brings us to our third point. God expands, God expands his kingdom gradually. God expands his kingdom gradually. I sat in the car this week on my way somewhere, and I heard an ad. I don't even remember what the ad was for. Some farm operation that was doing advertising sustainable farming. But in that ad, they quoted an old New England proverb that I've heard before that says, live like you're going to die tomorrow. Farm like you're going to live forever. Unfortunately, Christ's church has often forgotten that kind of advice. There's sometimes such an emphasis on the end is coming and Jesus is going to return any moment that the church has forgotten that it needed to plan and labor as if it's going to be a long time. But right here at the beginning, Jesus seems to indicate that God will expand his kingdom in a gradual way. We see several hints of that. Jesus speaks of not knowing the times or the seasons the Father has set. One author explains the times are critical moments of its history. The seasons are epics of its orderly development. It's not just a moment in time that's coming tomorrow. There may be whole epics of development of God's kingdom. Even simple logic tells us that when Jesus speaks 
of witnesses going out in ever-broadening circles until it reaches like ripples on a pond, the ends of the earth. He's not talking about a project that's going to be completed tomorrow afternoon. In fact, remember the parable that Jesus told about the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom? What was the problem of the five foolish virgins? They assumed it was just going to be a minute or two. And they didn't bring enough oil for their lamps, and they ran out. They didn't plan for a long wait. That's the point of that parable. It may be a long time. Actually, the very fact that Luke writes the book of Acts is some indication of that. William Willimon notes that one does not write church history if one expects the world to end tomorrow. Luke sat down to write church history. He seemed to understand that the advance of the kingdom was going to be a gradual process. And that's exactly how it has played out, is it not? There have been great advances. We read already in the New Testament that it seemed like the apostles turned the world upside down in their own generation. Great advances. And many more since. There have also been great losses. Just yesterday I heard on the news that 21 Christians were killed in the Egyptian town of Alexandria. Do you know Alexandria? In the early church, this was the greatest center of Christian scholarship. Now Christians are not welcome there. There have been great advances, been great losses. You see, we too need to live as if we're going to die tomorrow. But serve the Lord as if he's not coming back for another thousand years. In other words, it's not enough to get your children to pray to receive Christ. You've got to teach them the faith. And, and prepare them to live in faithfulness and to teach their children the faith. It's not excited, good enough to get excited about the Lord's coming. We've got to go with the gospel, send missionaries to the ends of the earth. And it's not enough just to go out there and tell. I remember when I was in college, there was a mission organization that said, we don't have time to go learn the language and learn the culture. We've just got to go out and reach these people. The Lord's coming back any day now. And so they went overseas with a handful of tracts, and they handed out papers that they could not read to people whom they could not understand. And in the process, they offended many with their cultural faux pas because they didn't take time to even get to know the people they were trying to communicate to. They fail to understand that God's kingdom is a process. And you've got to do it as if it's going to go on for a thousand years. And so while we live in expectation, we also need to plan for the long haul. We, we, we don't just go and serve the Lord. We build seminaries to train pastors for the next generation and the one after. We enter into working relationships where we can labor more effectively for a long haul. We, we don't just feed the poor. We, we need to work to find them jobs and to get them education and to teach them the faith. I think of Steve Lau and his ministry up in Vancouver and other places. We're trying to get prostitutes off the street. But you don't do that when you just get them off the street. You have to teach them the faith. You have to teach them how to live. You have to give them a place to live. You have to teach them skills. You have to get them plugged into a Christian community. Only then can you think you've evangelized those women. God's kingdom advances gradually over a long haul. And those same things apply to us here. 
We're not just building a church that makes us comfortable. We've got to build a church that would be faithful to preach the gospel for generations to come. We need to live lives that don't just bask in the fact that my sins are forgiven, but learn the disciplines of grace. Learn to walk in godliness and reproduce the same. Enough of being flash-in-the-pan Christians. God has called us to a long faithfulness. That's how his kingdom works. This morning we reinstalled two elders and it's not for nothing. Be reminded there's still work to be done. Christ Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom. Enough of thinking that politics is a Christian's hope. No, it's not. God has given us his spirit that we might be witnesses. That's how his kingdom will expand. And Jesus is expanding that kingdom to nations, to all the ends of the earth. Enough of nationalistic or ethnic agendas in the church. Christ expects the gospel to go to every people group in every nation. That's how his kingdom advances. We cannot say, well, I care most about my own kind of people. No. And finally, God expands his kingdom gradually. I truly hope the Lord comes tomorrow. But it's even more important that we plan for a long pilgrimage. History has proven that those who did served him best. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you've set before us what it is that you're doing if we'll take the time to think about it and listen to you. Make us faithful, Lord. Give us a heart like yours. Help us like the apostles to change our thinking from the kind of thing that comes natural to us, our own uh, ways and our own people and what we can see and having it right now, Lord, to uh, the agenda like you have, the long process of taking the gospel to everyone and proclaiming the spiritual reality that Sin and death has been defeated, and there's eternal life in Jesus. Help us to be faithful. We don't always even know what that looks like, Father. We often don't know where to begin. But I pray that as we walk together as a church, that you would help us to know what it looks like here. As we lead our families, help us to know what it looks like in our families. As we live in the world, help us to know what it looks like living in the midst of the world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.